We're going to be starting a new series this morning called I See a Church. And uh, we're going to be believing God that he's going to speak through this message. But let me uh, center myself and let me get out of my way. Heavenly Father, I pray all the thoughts that are racing through myself, uh, I, I surrender to you. I pray that I would slip away unnoticed, that your word would come forth in power. Um, help us today. Help us to get closer to you as a church of looking and acting like what we're supposed to look like and act like. Uh, not just doing, but being. So Heavenly Father, we ask that you would rest in this room. We thank you for what you're doing. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says. Amen. 30 years ago, a judge in Chicago made an interesting ruling about the identity of a man named Eugene Judon. Judon was 25 of Miami, Florida, and he had an unusual distinction. He's high on the government's list of not wanted men. You've heard of the most wanted men, but how did this man basically create a list called the not wanted men? A judge has asked that in every post office building in the nation, posters be tacked up that read, do not arrest this man. Judge Alfonso Sepe of the Dade County Criminal Court says he is fed up with Judon being hauled in to answer to a charge against another man with the same name and birthday. Judon was 25, born in Chicago, and this judge said, please tell the police to leave this man alone. It all began last Christmas Eve 30 years ago when the Chicago cops, this real man named Judon, escaped the Dade County prison. He's still a fugitive to this day. He was being held on charges of breaking and entering and draft violations. And the police, though, shouldn't have too much trouble if they are alert because the Judons are basically different men. One weighs 170, the other stands at five foot four, the other stands almost at six feet tall. Mistaken identity happens a lot these days, doesn't it? None more than what has happened to a lot of Christians in the last several decades in the American church. Martin Luther and the Reformation movement began in October 31st, 1517, and Luther's statements challenged the Catholic church's role as an intermediary between people and God specifically when it came to the indulgence system. Martin Luther understood that a personal relationship with Jesus was to be the identity of every believer. But in the last several decades, there has, in my estimation, began an anti-reformation movement. Give us the intermediary back, because this personal relationship thing is requiring too much. Isn't it amazing how the church oftentimes, if you're not careful, will put on the preachers and the pastors and the leadership things that they were never supposed to carry. And we are living in this day, I believe, of this anti-reformation movement that if you're not careful, you will delegate the responsibility that you have as a believer to places and people that never were supposed to happen. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? Here's what Numbers 13, 17 through 20, our text for this morning's message comes from. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether the land has trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit from that land. Now the time was a season of the first ripe grapes. The Israelites were getting ready to go to that promised place. 
They had been delivered, they'd wandered, and now found themselves ready for the elusive victory that had postponed due to fear, disobedience, and ultimately a lack of belief in knowing who they were. Let me explain. Listen to the questions that Moses asked themselves this morning. First question he asked them is, what do you see? One scout said when spying out the land, we were like grasshoppers in our sight, and so were they in their sight. Notice what he didn't say this morning. He didn't say that God has no power. What did he say? He said, we have no power, or next to them, we are like grasshoppers. You do realize this morning, I want you to lock in this morning, you will never outperform the picture you have of yourself. I'm going to pause. You will never outperform the picture that you have of yourself. Possibly the way that you see yourself is as important as the way as you see God. Many Christians will believe in the greatness of God, but discount the greatness that God wants to do through them. You will act like the person that you think you are. Proverbs 23 and 7 says it like this. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or in other words, the way that you see yourself oftentimes determines your attitude in life. Your self-portrait is the way that you see yourself. It's the, way that, it's the view that you have of yourself. Your self-portrait controls your self-confidence and your self-conduct. You will always act like the person that you think you are. You can never outperform your persuasion. And when God wants to do something great in you, the first thing that he will do oftentimes is change how you view yourself. I want to just pause here and just talk about how important it is how you have to learn how to have a proper view of yourself and the church that you're a part of. Most people that come to church tend to, tend to err on the side of having a poor negative out, outlook on who they are as a person. They have no problem believing in the greatness of God that they see, but they have a problem in their selves thinking that God has something great for them to be and do. You will never outperform your persuasion. Proper identity is key. My reputation, though, is to be like Christ. He made himself of what? No reputation. And when you view him, and you view him properly, you will be able to view yourself properly. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 6 says about Isaiah's experience. He viewed God and saw himself as he should. Here's what he said. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. That when you begin to view him and his identity and who he is, it gives you a proper view of yourself. Listen to what Judges chapter 6 verses 12 says. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon means mighty warrior, destroyer. Mighty man of valor. But how many know that Gideon was in a hiding place and acting like a coward? God had to get him to change the view or picture of himself. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nation. Then I said... Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, 
and whatever I command, you shall speak. Now, let me recap the conversation. Here's what God says to Jeremiah. When I see you, Jeremiah, I see a prophet. Here's Jeremiah's response. But I am like a child. And then God's response back to Jeremiah. Shut up. (laughs) Change how you view yourself. Some of you need to learn at a core person of who you are, not how you see yourself, but how God sees you. Some of you need to look into yourself and say, self, shut up. What a word this morning. If you'd never heard anything I've ever told you, my pastor told me to shut up. You have to learn how to stop saying what you are seeing and start saying what God is seeing. What is the point of trash talking in sports? My son, who's 11 years old, plays basketball. And he'll come off the court and he'll say, that kid was talking trash to me. What was he doing? He was trying to get my son to believe that he couldn't do or change the picture of himself on the court. You're not going to make it. You're not going to win. You're always going to lose. And trash talking by its nature tries to take the picture that you have of yourself and downgrade it. That's what the enemy does in your life now, isn't it? The enemy in your flesh that will lie to you, will tell you that you will always be below. You will never be a conqueror. You will never. That's why scriptures are so important in your life. The word of God is so important in your life because when you start believing what this says about you, it starts changing the things that you even think about yourself or the greatness that God wants to do through you. So many people in, in, in the body of Christ, they wait so long for this, this idea of identity in Christ to, to click with them. And I'm trying to tell you that the greatness of God in you will have no effect on you until you see what God sees in you. Unless you see the way God sees you, you will misinterpret every conversation that you have with him. Most people deal with the effects of seeing themselves so poorly that they can't find the faith to see what God sees. Others deal with the effects of seeing themselves so greatly that they never find the need for faith to see what God sees for them and ultimately leads a life missing for what God had for them. Let me give you the best two-minute explanation I can give you on how you should view yourself. Your world doesn't need a more, better version of you. They need a more, better version of God in you. That's proper identity. The world doesn't need less of God. The world needs less of you. That's why Paul wrote, he must increase and I must decrease. There is greatness in you, but the greatness is found in surrendering. What what does the word say? If if who amongst you wants to be the greatest must become what? The least. The the self-help gospel that tells you that you can just do it all yourself, that you can, it's all about you, this narcissistic view of the gospel that, that tells you that the whole world must be surrendered around you is wrong. It is a life of selfless service and surrender to your heavenly father. And it's as you grow low before him, he grows high in you and your life never becomes the same. This story, it took one man to see faith. Numbers 13 and 30 tells us the story of Caleb. The Bible says that Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. 
One man had a proper self-portrait of how God saw him, and what did he see? He saw victory. The other people had an improper self-portrait, and they saw defeat. What do you see? It's a question for this morning. What do you see? What do you see when you see yourself? What do you see when you see the church? What kind of atmosphere, what kind of dynamic gospel are you presenting for the world around you? Moses gave them a checklist. And this checklist this morning gave them an opportunity to challenge what they were seeing. This checklist allowed them to look in the mirror of who they were. The first question that Moses asked them to ask when they viewed the promised land was this question. Are you ready for it? Are the people strong or weak? When you view your enemy as strong or weak, what you're doing is you're measuring how you view your people. I love my, my, my youngest son, Jace. We were standing in line at Disneyland with about 20 college-age kids that we used to take on a end of the, end of the, end of the in, interior uh, trip. And so we were standing in line, and by then I think he was like seven or eight years old. He's picking, basically bossing all these 20-something kids around. And he says, all right, my squad is uh, Sherm Dog, DJ. And he's basically calling them by all their nicknames. And what he was saying was, this is, these are my people. These, these, are, these are my homies. These are my, this is my game. This is who I'm going to roll with. And right now, when, when you're, you're talking, you know what I'm saying right now. Like, there's tribes in churches, right? You, you, like, if, if something bad were to happen to you or you need to face somebody, you know who you would call, right? You would call Shermdog, right? Shermdog is the guy that you would call. But most of you understand that, that Moses' question was, is when you're viewing the enemy or you're viewing the mission field, who is it that's going to have your back in your life to do what God's called you to do? And here's, 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 here's the point. Here's what I believe Moses was saying. If you can't see the greatness of God in you, you will never see the greatness of God in others. It's important to know that your identity in Christ needs to be rooted in less of me, more of him, because when you have the proper identity and you see the greatness of God working in you, it will give you eyes to see the greatness of God in the other people that are around you. If you come to church all the time and go, well, what about me? No one notices me. No one, no one loves me. No one's friendly to me. If that is your identity in Christ, it is going to be a lonely walk. But the moment that you come to church being other people minded and said, Lord, you know that I've been lonely, but I'm going to become a friend. Lord, you know that I have needs, but I'm going to go meet a need. And oftentimes it's the way that you're able to see the needs around you and how God can use you will allow you to begin to see the greatness of God in others. I want to be clear, it's the greatness of God in us. It's not us that makes a difference in life. Let me, let, let me repeat that to you. If you can't see the greatness of God in you, you will never be able to see the greatness of God in others. You must change the way that you see yourself to the way that God sees you. Because in the end, it's not just about your freedom. It's about their freedom as well. You know what generational curses are all about? It's, it's a mom or a dad viewing themselves wrong in Christ and handing down that crutch or addiction one generation further. What you do not deal with in your generation, listen to me, what you do not deal with in your generation will have to be dealt with in the generation to come. 
There is nothing so sobering as a parent as when you see that thing that, you, that God spoke to you about to stop doing, now your kids are doing it. Gets pretty quiet now, doesn't it? When I, when I view myself and I don't, I don't view myself as God sees me, then I view it in my son Jaden. It's like, no, Jaden, listen to me. You need to view yourself like this. And he'll look, your kids will look right back at you and go, well, I'm just viewing me the way that you view you. And that is why freedom is so important. It's because God wants to see you free from the things so that you don't have to hand those bondages down. So many people, so many people have learned to live with things that God wishes and plans for them to live without. What is it for you? When you see you, when you see the people around you, when you see the generational bondages and curses and things that you deal with, what is it that God is trying to get your attention of today and saying, stop living with that? gets really quiet in the church when you start talking about these things because it's, it's one of those areas where it's, it's God's trying to get you to see and have a conversation about what you see when it comes to who you are and who you're hanging out with. The second question that Moses asked was, are these people few or many? When you view your enemy, do you view yourself as alone or a part of an army that has your back? I'm going to tell you right now, you're not alone. You might prefer to be alone. (laughs) You might have found your identity in victimhood, so alone feels good. But you're not alone. God's got you and his people have your back. It's the reason why the enemy works so hard at separating the church from its mission field. It lies to people and it tells them that the church is judgy, it's condescending, it's mean, or it's unforgiving. There might be some people who call themselves the church that do that, but they're not the church. You have to know that you're not alone in this fight that that is called life. You are not, look to your neighbor and say you're not alone. You're not alone. Romans, or I'm sorry, Proverbs 18 and 24 says it like this. A man who has friends must himself be what? Friendly. Oftentimes the thing that you're aching for the most is a thing that you should start being intentional in doing first. The third question that Moses asked was, is the land good or bad? When you view the enemy living in your land, how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel when you look at your kids that are wayward? How does it make you feel when you're looking at generational bondages that are keeping to repeat themselves? How does it make you feel? Does it make you angry, upset, or sad? Knowing that the enemy is reaping the harvest that you were supposed to have? When you look at the land, does it burden you to know that they are winning in the ways that God wants you to win? Let's bring it home this morning. When you look at what's happening to our schools and our children, the enemy right now is winning more of our young people to their perverted ideology than we are to our godly convictions. Why? Doesn't it make you angry to know that imposters are in control of our land, our lineage, and our nation? When you look at our homes, divorce is common. Families being mangled as normal. Addictions are everywhere. The love of money is rampant. And I believe Moses told them to ask them this question because he wanted a holy, righteous indignation to begin to rise up. When is enough going to be enough? 
Moses was seating him with a, seating them with this thought, I believe. It's time to take our land back. Territory that we have lost. God wants us to get our stuff back. I believe it's time for the body of Christ to run for school boards, be active in education, coach our kids, say prayers before games, and point people to God. Come on, you could do a whole lot better than that this morning. It's time to take our land back. I have a question for us this morning. How is it that they can teach their convictions about infinitive genders, but we can't teach our convictions about the one true God? The body of Christ has to get back to the place where we stop seeding ground in places that are so important because our lineage and our kids are paying for it. Something doesn't sound right when you can put litter boxes in schools. It's not right. It's not right that we have football coaches in our nation not being able to pray before football games but we, can, we have to acknowledge, according to the secular perverse ideology, that there is thousands of genders. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with the spirit that even as I talk, the church is, is told by the enemy to go stand in the corner. You don't get a voice. You just got to deal with what we do. And what God is saying is, is God is saying, listen, when is enough going to be enough? We got to get our land back. 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 The next question that Moses asked was Are there cities built in camps or strongholds? I want you to look at the, the people that you are trying to go conquer. Are they people of convenience or conviction? Are they just, are, are they, do they believe in what they believe in their strongholds? Or are they movable? And the reason why I believe Moses wanted the, the, the spies to ask this question, because it, it, it allowed them to ask that question about themselves. Well, what do I believe? Is what I believe, is it just convenient or is it a conviction? Because there are a lot of Christians in today's world that if it's convenient to follow Jesus, they will. But are they convicted about it? They're living and building. Are, these people are living and building a home in our land. And is that okay with us? This, this kind of consumerism leads to wandering. Conviction, though, leads to action. Moses was asking them, how strong are the strongholds? And if you want to take out the strongholds, you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to be stronger. Listen, you can't be mixed with the world and be stronger than the world. You will never take the stronghold out until you deal directly with a strong man. David had to fight his Goliath. Jesus had to conquer his tomb. And you and I as the church are going to have to carry our cross. There are... There are there are school boards that we're going to have to confront. There are secular ideologies that we're going to have to confront. There are, there are perverse thinking that we're going to have to confront. And it might mean, listen to me, it might mean that we get persecuted. It might mean that we get, we get judged wrongly or poorly. It might mean that we might have to fight some battles verbally with some, with some people in our lives that we care about. 
But listen to me. I would rather fight the battle this side of the stronghold than that side of the stronghold where our kids have to pay. Here's what Mark chapter 3, verses 22 through 27 says. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons and he called them to him and he said to them in parables how can Satan cast out Satan if a kingdom is divided against itself that kingdom cannot stand listen to what verse number 27 says but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man The first thing that we have to do in the church is look at the areas of unbelief that are in our own life. The places where we have opted for convenience rather than conviction in our own life. The times where we've surrendered to God the easy thing but not the hard thing. You are never going to deal with strongholds out there until you learn first how to deal with strongholds that are in here. And the church, it's the word that's been coming to our church through many men and women of God. There is a season of repentance that has to happen in the church because, listen to me, if we're ever going to deal with the strongholds that are out there in our community, we first have to deal with the strongholds that are here. If we're ever going to repair relationships out there, we've got to repair relationships in here. If we're ever going to, if we're ever going to, to deal with the addictions that are out there, we've got to deal with the addictions that are in here. If we're ever going to deal with the perversion that's out there, we're going to have to deal with the perversion that's in here. And the Bible says, the Bible says that you have to confront the strong man first. And the strong man is the one that you permit. When David was pure, the cursing of Goliath unleashed the warrior in him. But listen to me, after he sinned, Bathsheba, his self-portrait, was so damaged that when David was on the run from Absalom's army, a man came out of the shadows and cursed him. And David, the once pure warrior who faced Goliath, because Goliath cursed him and God, listen to me, that same man, because he fell into sin, when Absalom, a man came out of the shadow and cursed him, you know what happened? The Bible says he did nothing. Every man or woman has a king and a fool in him, and the one that people talk to grows the most. Recognize, inside of you right now, there is a king and a fool inside of you. And the person that you talk to the most will win. Because what you continually hear is what you believe. So one of the questions this morning is, who has your ear? The treatment you permit reveals the self-portrait you have of yourself. And don't let anybody tear apart the self-portrait that you have. Because anything that you permit increases. Don't hang around people who don't speak to the greatness in you. Some of you that that are dealing with addictions and struggles and bondages, God can deliver you in a moment, and then you need to get around people that are like people I can celebrate recovery who will speak to the greatness that's in you. That you're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be more than a conqueror. You learn that you got to get around people who will speak to the greatness inside of you. The greatness inside of you will grow or die based upon who has your ear. Here's what Romans 10 and 17 says. So then faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. 
and hearing by the word of God. The next question that Moses asks, is the land rich or poor? Moses looked to these men and said, can it sustain generations? This is not about us. It's about who's coming behind us. Is this land, this promised land, about just you? Or is it about more than you? If your Christianity is solely about you, I think that the Christianity that you have might not be right. Moses was telling them that every person needs to be involved in a cause greater than themselves. So many people have refused to become the fathers that God intends them to be, and they would rather stay sons. Sons care about their own future. Fathers care about their legacy. Our world needs the father heart of God on display. You see, where earthly fathers have, been let, have let people down, our heavenly father lifts people up. Our perspective needs to be on others and not on self. The second to last question that he asked the people, are there trees? Yes or no? I love this question. Is there the ability to reproduce? Does the soil have the capacity for growth and reproduction? Do you have the capacity to grow? Is the land able to be reused and pliable? Trees, when harvested properly, provide renewable and perpetual housing, warmth, and sustenance. And Moses was wanting them to see what it was going to take for generational blessing. Are you going to have an eye to see that the land had the ability to be perpetual and ongoing? It's one of the things that I love about Parkway. It's one of the things that I love about our heritage here is there's trees that are growing and this pastor has the ability now to eat fruit from the trees that I did not plant. But we now have to ask ourselves the questions. What are we planting so that those that come behind us, can it be reproduced? Matthew chapter 13, verses 23 says this, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Caleb, Joshua, when you look at the land that God wants you to possess, is it a land that can reproduce? Because if it's a land that can reproduce, I want you to be of good courage. The fight is going to be intense, but the victory is going to be worth the fight. The last advice that Moses gave these men, be of good courage. This road is going to require you to be brave in the face of an enemy who is living in your land and doesn't want you to leave. As my wife comes back to the keyboard this morning, when I look at the church, what do I see? I see a church that has greatness in it and in front of it because God will be in it and in front of it. When I see the church, I see a church that believes together is a good place to be. 
When I see the church, I see a church that knows that our land is worth fighting for. When I see the church, I see a church that their ears turn towards God and they listen to Him because we know whoever has our ear has our future. I see a church that lives in what God is doing, not just what He has done. I see a church that reproduces life and not death. Church is not a building. The church is not a business. The church is you and me. The church is God's answer to a broken world. I believe that he is building his church. And when he is building his church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see what I see when I see the church. I see a church that took a family that was broken, just like mine, and brought me in, bandaged me up, healed me up, talked to me about my future. I went to a church where as I would walk the aisles at 10 and 11 and 12 years old, the elders, the spiritually mature, the 70s and 80s and 90s year old would stop me. They would square me in the eyes and they would say, son, you're going to do great things for God when you get older. They would say, son, I don't know what it is about you, but there's greatness in you. They would stop me and they would say, son, God's got great plans for you. Why? Because when they saw me, they saw the reproducing miracle and power of God at work. That if it worked for my generation, it's going to be able to work for theirs. What do you see? What needs to be changed in what you see about yourself? If all you ever do when you look in the mirror is see an addict, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If all you ever see is divorce in your past, divorce will be in your future. If all you ever see is kids that are wandering from God, what I felt like I was supposed to share this morning, the Sunday after Easter, the Sunday when we stopped to recognize that the work that happened was not just on the cross, but it was an empty tomb. That he didn't just save us from something, he saved us to something. He didn't just save us from bondage, he saved us to victory. And that there is victory in the heart of every believer, but one of the things that's challenged is the way that we view ourselves. I'm going to do what those men and women of God did for me when I was younger. When I look at this audience, there's greatness in you. There's marriages, there's grandkids, there's children that love God all their days. They know no wandering. There's greatness in you. You're not the addict that the world has said that you are. You're healed and delivered and free in Jesus' name. The world's not going to get your kids. God has them. When you start talking by faith from the foundation of his word and you start agreeing with a victory that he's spoken over your life, you begin to bind the strong man. Every lie that has been told over you, we bind in Jesus' name. Every victory that God speaks in his word over you, we loose it in your life. You're not going to be depressed all your life. 
You're not just going to have temporary happiness, but you're going to be people of joy. People, when they encounter people from Parkway in their community, they're going to see smiles that can't be explained. Peace that's indescribable. They're going to they're walk up into a world that has only known depression and anger. They're going to see people that only know peace and joy. Because why? How you see yourself is about to change. You are a child of God, equipped for every good work. You have the authority to operate a prom as promised land possessors and not wilderness wanderers. Listen to me, because it's on the inside of you. You are the head and not the tail. If you are sick, he can heal you. If you are lost, he'll find you. If you need a miracle, he is your father. Because why? Kingdom building power rests on the inside of us. Mountain, you have to lay low in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet? And I want you to give the Lord the greatest round of applause that you've given him all morning. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. 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 Us preachers have an interesting job. You know what us preachers' job is? To convince you to see yourself the way that God sees you. And to talk you out of seeing the way that oftentimes you view yourself. The lens of insecurity and fear, regret. Out of the lens of, I've made too many mistakes, I have too many problems, and us preachers have this wonderful job to say, hey, you might see yourself that way, but how does God see you? God sees you, listen to me, God sees you as he intended for you to be in victory underneath the blood of his son. When he sees you, he doesn't see your past mistakes. He sees your future victory. He doesn't see the times when you've fallen down. You know what he sees? Times when you've gotten back up again. He sees you. He knows you. He hears you. And I love the atmosphere that's in this room. Do you know why I love the atmosphere in this room? It's because many of you are having a hard time believing the way that God sees you. And that's how I know that I'm speaking the right message at the right time. I want you to take 30 seconds here, and I want you to look to a neighbor, and I want you to, to begin to brag on them about how God sees them. Go right now. Do it. Do it. How does God see you? How does God see you? Hallelujah. How does God see you? I love the awkwardness. I love the introverts that went down. But you know what I love? I love that the moment that you start talking about how God sees you, it's almost like when I start bragging on my 11-year-old son, oh, Dad, oh, Dad, stop that. But keep it going, but oh, Dad, stop that. When God, when God looks at you,
He looks at you with affection and love, thoughts of peace and joy, to give you a purpose, not to harm you. This, this body of believers, before we start talking about strongholds out there that we're going to conquer, we are. The stronghold that oftentimes we face first is the belief that God picked me? With all of my mistakes, with all of my problems, with all of my past, God picked me? Listen to me. He picked you. When God looked for the answer to fix the broken world, he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus. And then he said, I'm going to use people, broken vessels, to share the message of hope. He picked you. He picked you. He picked you. And to know to know, to know, to know that God's not mad at you. Man, he's madly in love with you. And it's my job as your pastor to convince you that when God sees you, he smiles. He loves you. All those areas in your life where you go, even right now, pastor, I wish I had money because I'd buy back those days where I messed up. You don't have enough money in the world to buy back those days. All the shame and condemnation, listen to me, can be gone in a moment. When you see yourself the way that he sees you, you are loved, you are safe. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life. This church is not going is, is, is to point fingers at you when you fall down. When you fall down, you know what we're going to do? We're going to come pick you back up and we're going to say, hey, listen, I remember being there. And I remember, I remember when someone came and found me in that way. Are you tracking with me this morning? I had a few moments, so I, I wanted to pause. I wanted to brag on God's children today. I know some of you are going through some rough times, but in the words of my, my childhood pastor's wife, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. God's got you. He's got you. Don't believe that just here. Believe it here. Believe it. He's got you. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray this prayer together corporately this morning. God, would you begin to show me how you see me? Yes. Yes. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the Most High. He knows all about me. There's nothing that's hidden from His sight, yet He still loves me. He still knows me. He still sees me. He still wants to be in relationship with me. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed all across this room. The post-Easter service where we came to God and gave Him our all. He's here. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. You say, Pastor, I want to become that son or daughter 
I want to know that my heart's right before him. I'm tired of being below and beneath. I want to be above and beyond. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed all across this room. You say, Pastor, it's me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. If that's you, would you stretch up your hand so I can see it? God bless you. Yes, I see your hands. Yes. Yes, hands are over here. Hands right there. Yes, hands in front. I see a young man. I see you. Hallelujah. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand in the back. What you're feeling in this service is an anointing, not like what we've really felt here since I've been here. The anointing that you're feeling in this room is the Father heart of God that loves you, that is here for you. Yes. If you raised your hand, could you do me a favor? Could you lift up both of your hands right where you're... Everyone's heads bowed, their eyes closed. Would you lift up both of your hands towards heaven just as like a sign of saying, Dad, here I am. Heavenly Father, here I am. Yes. 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 With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, today I declare I'm yours. I recognize today that you want all of me. Not just the good parts. Not just the bad parts. Not just the days where I feel like I'm winning. But even the days when I feel like I'm losing. Heavenly Father, I've got a truckload of regrets. Poor decisions and sins. I give them all to you. The great exchange, what's in my hand for what's in your hand. I thank you for what you did on that cross. I believe and confess my need for you. Take all of me. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Is, is John Anderson here? Just before we close, don't, don't, don't quite leave yet. Where's John at? John? I, I want everybody in the, in the... John, come out here so they up, upper deck can see you. Um, this is one of our board members. He actually leads one of a, our discipleship teams called the Yes Team. He's going to be standing right down here with me at the beginning of the service. Uh, at the end of service, if, if you just raised your hand, there was about, I don't know, 15 or so people that said, I'm giving my life to Jesus. If you said yes today, we have this thing that we're calling the yes team. And we have people that want to walk this journey with you. They want, to, they want to take you out to coffee if you want to. They want to give you a book and a Bible if you want to. Uh, none of it's any pressure or anything like that. But many of us have been exactly where you're at, where you're like, what did I just say yes to? You didn't say yes to join a church. You didn't say yes to a denomination. You didn't say yes to a religion. You said yes to a relationship with Jesus. So you just said yes to. And if you're serious, many of you indicated, but if you want to dedicate your life to Jesus, um, there's men just like him who've walked this road, been walking it for decades that just have a heart to teach, a heart to talk about what exactly just happened. What an incredible thing it is 
when a person turns their life over to Jesus. I don't know if you heard it just a minute ago, but heaven just erupted. Heaven just erupted. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This pastor loves you. Let's sing half a song. Half a song, not a full song. Let's sing half a song.